And we continue in our sermon series um, about a roadmap for Christian living, for victorious Christian living. And it comes from what I would call a, a mentoring journey between an older man, an older prophet in Second Kings about Elijah and his uh, successor or successor to be, a younger man, Elisha, and how they journeyed through these four places from Gilgal, we talked about last week, then to Bethel, then to Jericho, and then through the Jordan. And each location has a rich history and therefore is instructive for us with some very deep object lessons. Um, and people have tried to link these four places in some kind of a, a sequence. And one of the books that we look at, written by Pastor Daniel Fu, uh, talks about it in the sequence. Even uh, someone like Watchman Nee, uh, a very famous theologian from many years ago in, in China, wrote a, a book called A Balanced Christian Life. And in several pages, he also talked about this as a sequence from like brokenness to encounters with God and all that. Sometimes I find the sequence kind of tenuous, uh, very hard to like make a doctrine uh, out of it. So I'll just rather we let the story of each of these places uh, speak for itself. So this week, we are looking at Bethel. Bethel. The first mention of Bethel was in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8, talking about, talking about Abraham. And there, Abraham, from there, Abraham moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So Abraham built an altar, and this phrase that appears quite often in the Old Testament, especially, he called upon the name of the Lord. A very basic meaning is just is worship. He worshiped the Lord. But some commentators have uh, uh, defined it as public worship. You call together on the name of the Lord. And so he built an altar, worshipped the Lord. And from Bethel, he went on to Egypt, where Abraham did not acquit himself so well there. What happened was that he lied to Pharaoh because he feared for himself, and he said that his wife, Sarah, wasn't really his wife. Uh, and then things happened in Egypt. Then he basically got kicked out of Egypt. And from Egypt, he went back to Bethel. And there's a second mention of Bethel in Genesis chapter 13. Let's read from verse 1. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot, his nephew, with him into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham, once again, called upon the name of the Lord. First at Bethel, went off to Egypt, nothing very good happened there, came back, built an altar again, worshipped God again. Next comes his grandson, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jacob cheated his twin brother out of his birthright. He lied to his father. And so his father Jacob had to send him away because Esau was really mad he was going to kill his brother in fratricide. So he sent 
Jacob away to Laban, who was Jacob's mother's brother, his uncle, to escape the wrath of Esau. And here we record in Genesis 28, uh, rather long, let me read through it. Genesis chapter 8 from verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and, on, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families on the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the beginning. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So this is the famous story of Jacob's encounter with God and Jacob's ladder. Remember, in his dream, he had this ladder where he saw angels going up and down from earth to heaven. And that link between heaven and earth, between the spiritual and the physical. Uh, just a little bit of trivia for you. Jacob's ladder is also used for this. That ladder you see in the gym. And I do not know if you guys are old enough to remember that toy, Jacob's ladder. Noah, oh my goodness, you all don't know what you've missed. Play iPad some more? Is <laughs> this thing that you can make it yourself and then you ta 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 it drops to the bottom and then turn it the other way around and ta 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 it comes down. Anyway. Um, but can you imagine Jacob who did something so dastardly by lying to his father's face and deceiving the father and then had to be sent away and God appeared to him in a dream and God said, you'll be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to take care of you. It's like pure, unadulterated uh, grace, even before he even confessed of his sin, of, of deceit and all that, God was looking out for him. And what did he do? He tried to make a deal with God. Well, he called the place Bethel, which is very good. Bethel. Beth means a house. Bethlehem, right? House of bread. And El means God. So this is house of God. 
And then you say, you bless me, huh? You bless me, one day I return to my home, then I will tithe to you. And that was the grace of God over Jacob. And then the story continues in Genesis 31, Genesis 35. The, the place Bethel uh, appears again and again where God spoke to, to Jacob and, and sort of transformed him in that journey with God to become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then next came the time of the judges, the next book in, in the Bible uh, of, of how God organized uh, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel and where the Ark of the Covenant was kept where? In Bethel. And people would come to Bethel when they want to inquire of the Lord, when, when they wanted to have this spiritual encounter with God. So that's the story of Bethel. So what does it mean to have an encounter with God? What comes to mind when I say, oh, you have an encounter with God, or I have an encounter with God? Must it be the dramatic, wow, encounter, sort of like as has happened to many uh, of us when you come before God and then your, your knee felt, feels like jelly and you fall under the power uh, of God, the Holy Spirit, where you become so emotionally touched in a very deep way and where some people actually cried uh, uncontrollably out of that deep sense of emotional connection uh, with God. Or it could be a word of knowledge that cannot be explained other than it is from God. And just this morning, I read a Facebook page of a person who said that um, she just like heard from God that go to this place and it was in Ishun, so I think she walked to a friend's house in Ishun and said, uh, were you thinking about committing suicide? And the lady said, how did you know? How did you know? And then was able to minister to, to this person. That kind of word of knowledge is like, wow, so dramatic. Uh, or a miraculous healing or a near-death uh, escape. Must it be like so spectacular? Or can it be in simple stillness to encounter God? Must it be so unusual or can it be very understated? So listen very carefully and I say to you as a good card-carrying brethren, pastor, that we absolutely do not need to have an encounter with God. No need. But now listen even more carefully. What we need is encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter with God. It needs to be a continual thing. We cannot have like just one encounter and that's it. And we live off that encounter. But if we do have this dramatic wow experience, that's great. Enjoy it. Praise the Lord. Thank God. But what about this? What about you wake up every morning without fail, 4.30 a.m., you get into this room and you spend that time with God. Doing your religious acts, A-C-T-S, where there is adoration, then confession, and then thanksgiving, and then prayers of supplication as you pray for other people. In other words, your quiet time, where you read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. So this is not quite the dramatic wow encounter, but this is what I might call a daily walk encounter with God. So what is an encounter? Let me define an encounter this way. An encounter with God is where we see the beauty of the Lord which elicits a love 
response because each encounter with God is with one aspect of the beauty and the character of God, His love, His justice, His grace, His compassion, where we see God's beauty and God is love, and our response is a love response, is a transforming, a life-transforming response to the love and the beauty and the character of God. So if you define an encounter this way, I want to share with you today, get ready for it, a nine-point sermon. Okay, nine point, which has helped me personally in my own life, in my journey with God this 41 years, next month it will be 41 years with God, and has also helped me to relate to fellow pilgrims uh, on this journey with God. And I'm referring to this book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Pathways, how people encounter God in nine different ways. And how we all, each one of us, will have different pathways, or he call it sacred pathways, or inclinations, or, or what is called a spiritual temperament. So let's go. Number one, naturalists. Naturalists are those who encounter God through His creation, through nature. Where you might say, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence my help comes from. And he encounters God outdoors in nature. And naturalists will feel close to God when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. You know that song? Then you will say, Then sings my soul, my God, to thee. It'll be like Psalm 23 when King David talks about he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Encountering God through the beauty and uh, the amazing creation of God in nature. And this, I guess, is where in Singapore we have a distinct disadvantage. Right? You're not like in New Zealand or the Swiss Alps or, or something. But still, still, we can have scenes like this. I know I, today is a really terrible day to, to put a picture up on. But I prepared it a week ago. So it's, it's really sad uh, what has happened in the Botanic Gardens. But, but there are scenes even in Singapore, where you sort of <gasps> take your breath away and, and you appreciate God and, and nature. Um, but you don't really have to go to Switzerland or New Zealand or even Botanic Gardens, even here in PPH. I think if you are a naturalist, you will find something. So I did it one day and I went and looked around PPH and I took these pictures of what's in PPH within our small little 23,000 feet compound. So that's a naturalist. So are you a naturalist? That's that. You feel you encounter God when you're out in nature. Number two, sensates. Encountering God with the senses. And we can think about the imagery of, say, Revelation or Ezekiel, when the Apostle John and where the prophet, uh, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, some of those amazing imageries that they saw in their encounters uh, with God. But it also need not be so dramatic. While I think of um, the theologian Henri Nouwen, I think that's how he's pronounced his name, Henri. And he looked at this picture of, uh, that was drawn by Rembrandt 
of the, I think it's the title, is The Return of the Prodigal Son. And then he, like, he went to the museum and he sat there and he looked at it and looked at it for hours, just enraptured by it. And encounter with God is to see the beauty of God through a painting which elicits a love response. So what was Henri's love response? He was a Yale Divinity professor at that time. And after he watched this and meditated on this picture, he changed. He quit his job and instead he went to work in a centre for the mentally disabled, disabled adults. And that was his response out of uh, that, that sensate uh, spiritual pathway. Many people too encounter God in the magnificence of, say, the architecture of uh, a cathedral. Uh, they are just mesmerized by stained glass window. Behind this screen, we have a stained glass window. It's only got two colors, <laughs> yellow and red, a red cross. Um, and senses are also, it's the senses. They're transport to, transported to, to like heaven, as it were, by, by music and by sounds. And you can think about Handel's Messiah and especially the Hallelujah Chorus and, and how some people would really encounter God through that. Uh, some encounter God through uh, the shofar, you know, that really irritating, <laughs> very loud blast of uh, the ram's horn. But some people just feel that it's wonderful. I attended a service in Israel once and oh, they were blowing that all the, all the time. You know? It's like, don't sit next to them, okay? It will deafen you. And then some by, by tambourines. And it's just that way through the senses. Um, and then, of course, we have incense. You know, in some of the very traditional churches, you will have this incense thing where the priest will just swing and walk down the aisle. And, and, under, and, and it works for some people. To encounter God through our senses is what might be called senses. And thirdly, traditionalists, where you encounter God through ritual and symbol. Ritual that is found in the traditional liturgy. For example, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, where there are set prayers for just about any occasion in life and any kind of service. And you just read the prayer that someone long time ago, hundreds of years ago, have written that prayer, and you read that prayer, and you feel like, wow, I really connect with God. Years ago, when I was a young Christian, in fact, the person who brought me to Christ, who, subsequent, uh, who, who was a Catholic, and when I started attending church, and I was just telling him about church, I said, oh, no, these guys, they just walk up there, and, and they just pray like that, extemporaneously. And he was like, what? You guys do that? Because that wasn't his experience. Because in, in his Catholic church, everything was written, right? When you pray, it is to read out a written prayer. And he couldn't, like, believe me. Um, so that's tra traditionalists. Tradi traditionalists also like to follow the church calendar. Like the season of Lent is very meaningful. The, the 40 days leading to uh, a Good Friday and Easter, which we will have a little booklet for all of us uh, to have a daily prayer and devotion time. Or the day of Pentecost, we will celebrate the day of Pentecost or Advent and all the, uh, this uh, uh, religious, whatever, dates in, in the calendar. Uh, and, I, and I believe a traditionalist will appreciate this series of sermons when we talk about Gilgal and Bethel and, and, and traditional places like this. Just last Friday, I was having lunch with a group of men and one of the guys said that he went to a, a church in Romania and he just had nothing to do. He said he sat down there, and the services are very short. It's like half an hour. 
So he sat down there. He didn't understand the word. He didn't understand what the songs were sung, but he just felt so transported in, in, into the divine that he just sat there. And when they did the second service, he continued. So he had two services in a row, exactly the same thing. So I advised him to come for the second service. I noticed that he didn't come. That's up. So that's the, the, the beauty of that liturgy and the tradition of uh, worship. Number four, ascetics. Encountering God in solitude and simplicity. We're talking about prayer and fasting, about solitude. And great examples of these are the early, not the church faster, uh, uh, fathers, they call them the early desert fathers, where they will leave society and become hermits in the desert. And that's where they will meditate and pray all day. And then people will follow them. And it begins uh, the, the tradition of monasteries. And they will do teaching, prayer, and fasting. Uh, famous ones would be St. Francis of Assisi, uh, where he really left his very rich and very decadent lifestyle. He became um, an ascetic. Um, one that I want to introduce you to, he's, he's called St. Simeon. St. Simeon lived on the top of a pillar for 47 years. 47 years, and this is kind of like a representation of what happened. So he just sat there on top of a pillar. Of course, people being in a basket bring food up to him and all that. And he meditated and he taught from there. Um, and he died. He died on top of a pillar. Just in that, maybe in a cross-legged position like that. Just stooped over in prayer. And that's how he lived his life as an ascetic. Activists. Encountering God through social change or, or justice. Like fighting against the introduction of casinos in Singapore. Some the activists will say, I cannot take it. This is not right. Or fighting against some of the very virulently activistic uh, LGBT camp. It's like, this is wrong. This is wrong. A shiny example of this is uh, William Wilberforce of, uh, of England many years ago, uh, where he was instrumental in abolishing the, the slave trade. He introduced bills to Parliament again and again and failed and failed and failed, but he kept pressing on. And finally, just around the time he died, the bill was passed in Parliament and slavery was outlawed. It's like Moses fighting for the Hebrew slaves to the extent of killing a Hebrew slave owner. It's like Peter defending Jesus to the extent of chopping off the ear of a soldier who came to arrest Jesus. That's the kind of spirit of an activist. And when they do that, they feel like, wow, God is with me and I'm, and I'm encountering God through social change or justice. Number six, caregivers encountering God by caring for others. Prime example, we all know Mother Teresa who, who lived out Matthew chapter 25. You know, when Jesus says, if you give a cup of water to the hungry, you give it to me. When you give food to the, the, the hungry, you give it to me. It's not... And he identified so closely with those who are suffering. He says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. And the author of Sacred Pathways, Gary Thomas, described it this way, where once he was in college... And, you know, the weekend is where everybody drinks and people get drunk in college. Um, and where he saw that somebody 
had vomited on the seat of uh, the disabled toilet, the handicapped toilet. And he was looking after this disabled friend of his. And so in the middle of the night, he saw that it was soiled. And see, next morning, when my friend wakes up, he needs to use the toilet. So what am I going to do? So he decided in the middle of the night to clean the vomit, disgusting job of, of, of that uh, toilet. And uh, the next morning, his disabled friend was able to use it, and he didn't tell anyone until he wrote this book. And, and that he felt so alive. In fact, he said he saw the heart of God just by that action of cleaning the toilet. So that's a caregiver. Number seven, enthusiasts. Encountering God with mystery and celebration. You know who these two ladies are, right? This is about three or four years ago. I was standing right there near the ABA corner and I saw these two ladies worshipping, you know, they were like jumping and hands lifted up. So I took this picture thinking that one day, one day I'll be able to use it and today is the day. As a very good example of enthusiasts, of joyful celebration, it's kind of like David dancing uh, before the Lord, where you jump, where you clap, where you sing, um, and you wave banners, you know, in, in worship, which is very disruptive to me. <laughs> so I don't mind it if I sit in front and I worship the Lord. I can't see. I know that Sharon is waving a banner and I praise God that she's waving a banner, but not in front of me because it distracts me. But it's, it's her spiritual temperament and she's an enthusiast encountering God with celebration. Uh, in the way Gary Thomas defined an enthusiast, he also talks about encountering God through mystery. The mystery of, say, dreams and visions is classified under enthusiasts in, in this book as part of encountering God through mystery. Okay, we are almost there. Seven down, two more to go. Number eight is contemplatives. Encountering God through adoration. These are the people who are lost in divine romance and wonder. Where um, a contemplative will sort of picture God as a lover and will use such terms as, I'm just holding hands with God in contemplation. Um, and the, the meditative types who can meditate on the Lord's Prayer word by word. So what is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in Heaven, our 15 minutes. Father, Father, okay, Father, half an hour. In, in also 15 minutes. You know, seriously, I've, I've gone to a seminar where they asked me to do that. And we, we, contemplatives will use language like beauty and intimacy with God. And contemplatives loves silent retreats where you can hold hands with God in intimacy. La, 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 la. I tried it once. Tried it once. I went to look through my photo album. It was in the year 2010, seven years ago. I went to a Kelong retreat in Batam where we had eight hours of silence. And this was the result. <laughs> you, you can see that I'm not the contemplative. I'm definitely not an ascetic because that Kelong had got no air conditioning. <laughs> okay, so that I was fanning like crazy. Okay, last one, intellectuals. Encountering God with the mind and the intellect, where intellects love the world of concepts, where they don't mind thinking about 
say, Arminianism, where sort of you can lose your salvation, you have total free will, and Calvinism, where you cannot lose your salvation, and where God has predestined uh, many things. It is uh, in the area of apologetics, for instance, uh, how to defend the faith intellectually, like how can there be God if there is so much evil in this world? And you will have the likes of Ravi Zacharias, a very famous apologist who was an intellectual, and he will answer it this way. Now, if I get it right, I listened to this so many times. If, why do you say there is evil? Don't you think that if there is evil, then there is good? And if there is good, how do you know it is good? Unless there is an objective moral lawgiver who determines what is good and what is not good. So, if there is no God, then there is no moral lawgiver, there is no definition of good and no definition of evil. So, what is your question? And, and he goes on like this, you know. I hope I got it right, but it's something like this. And, and perhaps intellectuals would like to figure out this question. How can Moses say that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth? How could he even write that in the Bible? And then they will go and write a whole PhD thesis on it. Just last Thursday, someone asked me this. Why did God give us free will to make decisions and then punish us when we make wrong decisions? My instant response, wow, sang nao jing, which is uh, Mandarin for what? It hurts the blood vessels of my brain. Just to listen to the question, let alone answer it. And then my, my combative answer was, so would you rather be a robot and have no choice at all? Uh, which wasn't a, a very gracious uh, answer. I should have intellectualized a little bit more and give a better intellectual answer, but I can't do that. Um, and Valentine's Day is coming up in two days. I really think that intellectuals do not give chocolate hearts on Valentine's Day. They give chocolate brains. Uh, then you go eat the brain, eat your heart out. Anyway, so there you have it. The, the nine sacred pathways to encountering God. So which one or which ones are yours? We do have a simple tool to help you to assess what your pathway is. Okay, it's like that. It's a PDF file. Uh, you might want to snap a picture uh, of that. I'm going to post it on the internet. If you send me a text message or the church office, we'll send you the PDF article. And you can just do a very simple test and it'll tell you where your inclinations are. Um, but one thing I have, one qualifier I have to make is that the Bible says what? That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Which means that no matter how good these man-made tools are, we are not about to be categorized into one of nine categories uh, in a very strict sense. You think of King David. King David who lifted his eyes unto the hills from whence his help come from is a naturalist. But who worshipped God in music and in the Psalms as a sensate through the senses, who participated in the Jewish liturgical worship as a traditionalist, who fasted and kept solitude as an ascetic, and who was an activist as a military general and a political leader, who was a caregiver to Mephibosheth, his uh, best friend, Jonathan's uh, crippled son, um, who was an enthusiast who danced before the Lord, 
even though his wife, Michal, mocked him, who was a contemplative, who was an intellectual in the Psalms that he wrote. So he covered everything. You think of the Lord Jesus, who even said that, that, who said that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like the simple lilies of the field. So he would be a naturalist. And he provided, Jesus provided for senses and non-senses alike the sacraments of the Holy Communion, which is such a visible sensory thing, a sensory rich encounter with God, with the divine, and, and baptisms, of course. And Jesus, who celebrated Passovers with his disciples as a traditionalist, who fasted 40 days as an ascetic, who overturned tables of the merchants in the temple as an activist, who touched and healed many as a caregiver, who was an enthusiast, I think, at the wedding of Cana, where he surely would have danced with the wedding guests and where he welcomed the children and who contemplated his own suffering and death in Gethsemane and who tackled many, many trick questions as an intellectual. So, Pao okay, he covered everything. But still, I, 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 I would say that, that we do have a, a bent we do have certain inclinations. It may not just be one. It could be a few. And through different life stages and in different circumstances, uh, it may be a little different. But we do have a dominance, uh, a dominant bent of some kind. So let's try to figure it out. Because, because it helps us to reach out to God and to encounter God in the very unique way that He has made us. So what do you think mine is? Okay, I, we did a survey with the full-time staff and missionaries some years ago. This must have been about three or four years ago. And uh, can you contemplate the fact that 38%, the highest of, um, of, of all the full-time staff and missionaries are contemplatives? 38%. Contemplate. And, uh, but we can act on the fact that we have 19% who are activists. So we activists save the world. Um, so in your cell groups, or even if you're not in a cell group, uh, please do join one, especially for this session. Uh, I'd I like you to give me the data. You, know, don't have, you don't have to give me the names, right? If there are 10 people in your cell group, just let me know. Two are contemplatives, three are activists, and so many are intellectuals. And let me summarize the data, and then I'll show it back to you, what this church is like. I think that would be quite fun. Um, so, if after we summarize all the data, and I find out that a very high percentage of us are ascetics, then we can do away with Sunday refreshments. We can even switch off the aircon and have the service without air conditioning. How wonderful. Save money. Anyway. <laughs> you know, this way of looking at what, what Gary Thomas called sacred pathways and, and how people encounter God has helped me a lot personally. It has helped me to be more gracious or at least less obnoxious. You know, I, I, I used to make fun, of, make fun of contemplatives, you know, contemplate. And, and I disparaged the traditionalists. I feel very uncomfortable with enthusiasts, you know, the jumping up and down kind. And, and I would shake my sang nao jing head at the intellectuals, you know, please don't go there. And I may have a grudging respect for the ascetics, you know, those guys who can fast 40 days. 
in my mind, only the caregivers and the activists really encounter God. They are the real Christians. Okay, those in the past. Huh? So now, now that I know this, it has helped me a lot in my own journey as well as in my journey with fellow believers. But seriously, when was your last encounter with God? Whether it was the dramatic, the wow kind, or the daily walk kind. Abraham became the father of the faithful after his many encounters with God. Encountered God at Bethel, for sure, more than once. Jacob was transformed from a cheat and, and, and like from being a Trump-like dealmaker to become the patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel, where his name was changed after many battle encounters from supplanter or cheat to Israel, which means one who prevails, one who prevails to the extent that he became triumphant or victorious with God. That was his journey. And it sort of started in Bethel, where God met him out of grace. He had not earned anything. So, if you are a naturalist, then make time to be naturalist. Right? Maybe today, you need to go for a walk somewhere this evening and encounter God in nature. If you're an activist, or a caregiver, then you must join the ACP advocacy course. Right? Advocate for it. If you're an enthusiast, we can sing the close song, which is a slow song, but sing it with gusto in some way. If you're a contemplative or an intellectual, then, then subscribe to Ravi Zachariah's podcast. Uh, it's called Just Thinking. You search Just Thinking and and every day, there is like a 15 or 20-minute uh, mini-sermon, or he chopped the sermon into various pieces, and you can listen to, to Ravi Zacharias and get really intellectualized or energized uh, with your intellect. If you're an ascetic, then faster go and fast. <laughs> Just asceticize yourself. Lah. You see, I still speak in terms of mockery, uh, which I shouldn't. Right? Because it is your sacred pathway. It is sacred to you. Okay, so let's go back to the definition of an encounter with God. An encounter with God is where we see the beauty of the Lord, which elicits a love response. And you know the beauty of God can be seen in a bug, in an insect. I came across this story by Charles Spurgeon from very long ago, uh, a very famous preacher. And he tells the story of this man who once went to a chapel to listen, not to the sermon, but just to the singing. He just liked the music. So when the singing was over and the choir finished their stuff, the pastor began to speak, and he wasn't interested in that. So he put his two fingers to his two ears and didn't want to listen to the pastor. But just at that moment, an insect, a bug, landed on his nose. So he took one hand off his ears and he tried to brush the insect away. And just at that moment, the pastor said, He that has ears, let him hear. So he continued hearing. And it elicited a love response. On that day, he gave his life to Christ. Wow. It's a dramatic uh, wow encounter. But you and I can have at least four encounters with God daily. One when we wake up and have our time 
alone with God, or whether you do it at night or in the middle of the day, it doesn't matter. Where you have that time alone with God, no matter how long or how short, where you read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. And then three other times at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you have more meals than that, better. Better. More encounters. You know, every encounter, whether it is roti prata at breakfast or wonton noodles at lunch or xiao lo fan, which is Cantonese for plain rice with soya sauce, okay, for poor people, uh, it elicits, elicits a love response. At least you say, thank you, God, for my daily provisions. Thank you, God. So every encounter, whether it is the dramatic wow kind or the daily walk kind, elicits a love response, a love response to love our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. As in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you can love with all your heart as an ascetic or traditionalist or naturalist or enthusiast, with all your soul, with all your will as a sensate or contemplative, with all your mind as an intellectual, with all your strength, your neighbor as yourself, as an activist or a caregiver. That's how we can encounter God. Let me ask the musicians to come and prepare. And, and we're going to sing that song, Savior of My Heart. Uh, a really lovely, simple song. Uh, Sheila Walsh, um, it, it touches the, the depth of uh, your soul. But you know, I've been thinking kind of like the practice of quiet time and saying grace, it's like it's going obsolete. You know? <laughs> going obsolete, right? Um, even pastors have to be reminded uh, every year when I attend the pastor's press summit, they talk about this, you know, pastors, you know, you are preparing sermons, are you having your own quiet time with God? And it will become obsolete if, if it is a, a, a religious duty, but think of it as a, a relationship, right? You know, as I get older, I feel this more intensely. Say, so what if my children are so busy, they have no time with me, they don't even want to encounter me. And, and that's why I say for, for maybe for selfish reasons, I, I now visit my parents at least twice uh, a week to have a twice-a-week encounter uh, with them. And, and maybe so that my son can see my example and then uh, when I grow older, uh, which is not that far away, they will come and at least visit me twice a week. Um, but it is for, not for selfish reasons, huh? it is for relational reasons, you know. I visit my parents because they are my father and my mother and they are alive. Likewise, your daily walk encounters with God. Why? Because He's loving Heavenly Father and you really want to spend that time with Him and in, in some sense, it, it calms your soul when you have that quiet time with, with Him and it sets your day right or even at the end of the day as you process that time with God, it resets your day right. So let's use this song and contemplate the words of this song and pray that the Lord will do something with our heart even as we sing this lovely song. Why don't we rise for the song?
Enjoy for a few moments this time with God, just in the stillness, to know that there is a loving Heavenly Father who is mindful of what we go through in life, who gives peace not like the world gives, who sent a Prince of Peace to be with us. So this afternoon, I'd like us to experience that peace, that still encounter with God in stillness. As we depart from here, who knows, but the Lord may, through an act of His grace, encounter you in a very dramatic way through a healing, through a word of knowledge. Or through one of these nine spiritual pathways. And if you know that you are of a particular kind, if you're an intellectual, by all means, go read some book, get together with some friends, and explore the wonders of God. If you're a naturalist, yeah, get out 
get outdoors and appreciate nature. If you're a caregiver, then be true to yourself. Care for someone. Whatever you do for one of the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. And that's that divine encounter with God. can encounter God in our pain and in great difficulty and all the more the Lord will be true to His nature it is the beauty of God so I encourage you to respond to Him to come to God, to pray to have someone pray with you no matter what the storms in life or sickness we can come to Him and we can pray that the Lord will intervene in a very special encounter with us personally. So let me open up the altar and if you wish to respond, then some of us can pray with you. Let me close in prayer now. Father, thank you, Lord, that you made us fearfully and wonderfully as we look around us and our brothers and sisters each one of us respond to you so differently and yet so beautifully sometimes in ways that we cannot stand and it's just not like us but it's wonderful to know that there is such great diversity but Lord make it personal for us I pray for each one of us that in one or even more of these nine so-called sacred pathways, we will feel your presence, we will encounter you in a deep way. We will experience the peace that passes all human understanding. We will encounter the Prince of Peace. And more than that, it will transform us. It will elicit a love response from us. That just like Jacob being transformed through repeated appearances at Bethel, he became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel and he blessed these 12 people. And so too, Lord, help us to be a blessing to the nations. When we go back to the office or to the school tomorrow, help us to be a blessing too. When we have encountered you, when we have tasted of the goodness and the peace of God, Help us to be activists, caregivers, whatever. And let there be encounter after encounter after encounter with you all our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.